This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, weatherman turned passionate aviation professional, Chris Dunn. Before we begin, just a few announcements. If you have questions, comments, inspirational stories, please write us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. You know, I have close to 20 years of counseling furloughed and displaced pilots, and I really am here to help you through our career coaching. For those folks that have been laid off uh, at ExpressJet Airlines, one thing we're doing for you is we're giving you 20% off that coaching and all of our products. Just use the code ExpressJet for that. Also, if you're looking for a scholarship, there's scholarships in there to get type ratings. Uh, You can get a free scholarships guide using the Pay It Forward coupon. You want to know more about the Pay It Forward campaign where you can help other people get a scholarships guide? Just go to aviationcursepodcast.com slash pay it forward. And don't forget, too, if you're trying to get ready for an interview, we have a pilot interview course. It's free on YouTube. We're doing one every week where there's a question from my 500 question uh, bank of for interviews that I've been doing for many years. And it's, it's really helpful. And I love the feedback that I'm getting from it. So I'm going to keep doing them. Uh, things like what's, what is 3585? That was the last one. When do you need an alternate? Basic things like that for the aviation interviews. And you can use it not just for the airlines. You can use it for possibly a flight instructing job. Well, on to the show. Like I said, I have somebody who's truly passionate about aviation and uh, someone I'm really happy to introduce because we, we've actually conversed online and I'm excited because of the fact that he's somebody who's really done a lot in aviation, has been passionate all of his life, and that is Chris Dunn, the man who's turned from weatherman into a passionate aviation professional. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me on, Carl. Great to be here. Uh, it is great having you here. I will say one thing. You are so involved online, uh, and I love following you because I could see this this transition that you made uh, from this life uh, on in TV and television production to flying full-time. Still hanging on to the TV stuff a little bit, uh, but you've been passionate about aviation for many, many years just looking at your profile. Yeah, it, you know, it kind of started when when I was about four months old. I sat in the right seat of my dad's Cessna 172, and there's a little newspaper write-up that I was the, perhaps the youngest co-pilot ever. I probably uh, since uh, uh, have that record eclipsed. But uh, he had he bought a brand new Cessna 172 in 1966 for fourteen thousand dollars, and he had that airplane. He had a, a Cessna 210. He upgraded to um, a twin commander. And then eventually, by the time I was about 10 years old, he got out of flying. Uh, so I never really grew up truly with an aviation family. But my grandfather, he was a pilot. He got his pilot certificate in 1929. So my grandfather was a pilot. Uh, my father was a pilot. My uncle was a pilot. He had a, a Cessna 337 for a while. Uh, my cousin went to the Air Force Academy. He was a pilot. He still is a pilot. Uh, and I kind of took up the, uh, the, the family piloting reins when I was about 30 years old. So it was a matter of time and money allowing me to become a pilot and kind of mixing it in with the broadcast meteorology career. So the, the two kind of went hand in hand. And so it was a natural progression for me. 
You really, you know, it's interesting listening to that. It's and this just is the tip of the iceberg as far as the varied background that you have uh, in in your life and jobs, but also in some hobbies and interests. Uh, all those things tie into who you are, to who all of us are. And one of the reasons I really wanted to bring you on is that uh, there's so many people out there that say, "Well, I used to be this, I used to be that," and you know, you're you're the quintessential person to talk to when it comes to changing careers and. Uh, and you said you started in your 30s, um, but that was uh, that was a little while ago. So uh, I, don't, yeah. I, I didn't ask if I could ask your age now, but but you're not 30 anymore, right? So, no, no. Um, I, I, I will freely admit that I'm in my 50s, uh, 53 to be exact. Um, when, when you have the, the time and the money, sometimes it may not be as convenient, uh, for one time or another. When uh, I'll say this, uh, Carl, I, I freely admit I have listened to your show quite a bit, uh, because it is a great motivation for someone striving to achieve something else. And, and it's, a, it was a motivational factor for me too. I, I just love it when you say, just do something today to advance your career. Uh, that really, it gets through to me and it gets me to, you know, gets me off the couch, so to speak. So 35 years old, it may be too old for uh, an NFL linebacker, but 35 years old in aviation, uh, not at all. If you want to be a pilot, if you want to be an A&P mechanic, if you want to be a dispatcher, if you want to be a flight crew member, uh, 35, mm, not at all. Even 53. Well, you know, my, my time, at least for an airline career may be limited, but that's not really my goal. Uh, I love instructing. And if I can continue to do something along the instructing line or managing other people in aviation. That's what I want to continue to do. And that's kind of what I'm doing right now. One of the reasons we wanted you to come on too, is to comment on that because there's other avenues of aviation also the private aviation we've had uh, other guests on talk about that there's so much you can do that whole airline 65 rule that's just for the airlines it's not for everything else in aviation there's so much more out there and uh, and I'm so glad that you're happy and you're you're passionate about this one thing though you you really as you were moving through life you are, are a good example of someone who's come to a lot of forks in the road. So maybe you could give us an example of where in your past you went from one thing to something very different, but how that's also enhanced your current life. Well, I, I think the, uh, the prime example is um, about a year and a half ago. I, I spent 29 years as a broadcast meteorologist and I had, I, I think, uh, a great deal of success. I worked in some of the top markets across the country. Uh, some of your listeners uh, may remember me from such stations and markets as Salt Lake City in Philadelphia, Denver, Phoenix, uh, Miami, Fort Myers, Florida, uh, or Mobile, Alabama for the past four years. But uh, I hit a point of where I was working every night, five nights a week. My wife would complain that uh, she was a single parent five nights a week. And kind of like what happens in aviation when you're not around a whole lot. And I had the opportunity to stop that and to change something and go into something that she fully supported. Hey, maybe you should become a flight instructor or maybe you should go into aviation full time. And who am I to say, um, I don't think that would be a very good idea. No, that was a, a, a most excellent idea. So I took the reins and I, I uh, with the uh, suggestion of uh, some some friends of mine that I've known for a long time, they encouraged me to get my CFI. I, I did that in 2019, uh, and I immediately got a flight instructor job freelance uh, for the last several months of my contract in television. 
And they said, you know, if you want a full-time job here, uh, we'll have one here for you. Now, granted, it was about half of what I was making in television, but I was willing to make that sacrifice for, for the bigger picture, for something else that, that I really wanted to do. But the, the biggest motivating factor for me was my son was about to graduate from high school and I was really missing out on a lot of those things that, that he was doing and being at home and being present. So having this opportunity allowed me to be at home every night. And in fact, the first week that I was working at the airport, uh, we got up together and had breakfast and he went to one of his teachers and said, it was the first time that I can remember that I actually had breakfast with my dad before he left for work and I left for school. And that was just, uh, something wonderful. Now COVID-19 happened and we got a lot more of together time than I ever bargained for, which was great. And now that he's, uh, off at college, um, I'm still able to work in aviation and no looking back and, and things are great. I'm at the airport every day. I get to look at airplanes and occasionally I get paid to fly them too. Occasionally, guys, it sounds like you're, you're flying quite a bit now. They, you know, when you said you switched from, from television and you, you got this life back basically with your family, that is something that you can't really put a price on, is it? Right, right. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people probably look at, at the opposite. If you're looking into a flying career and you're looking to go to a, a 121 flying job and you're looking at three, four, five days out on the road at a time and then coming back, it's a different set of circumstances, different situation, and everybody's situation is a little bit different. This opportunity allowed me a lot more home time. And certainly there are plenty of aviation opportunities that allow you to stay at home. If you, um, on the mechanic side, for example, uh, at our facility in Gulf Shores, Alabama, we have A&P mechanics. We're a part 145 maintenance and repair facility. Uh, we have, we're open from nine to five, Monday through Friday or eight to five. Uh, so those are probably the most regular hours that you could ever expect. Uh, we also have our, our flight instructors. Um, well, just two for right now. I'm one of them. And we keep normal hours as well. And and we have the other guy. He can kind of uh, be flexible. So, uh, you know, there there is room for some flexibility and stability in this in this industry. Uh, there are some flying jobs as well, even part 135 uh, or part 91 jobs that are of a, a more regular basis, but then you also have that irregular schedule that you're going to work on the holidays and you're going to work on the weekends and you're going to be on the road for four or five days in a row. That's something that I did in broadcasting because there are no holidays in broadcasting and there are no holidays in the airlines. Uh, but it's just something that, that you have to deal with if that's something that you really want to do. And, you know, in many things in life, we have to pay our dues. Wow. When you talked about no holidays with the airlines, I can't tell you how many decades I've gone without being able to come around for Christmas, New Year's, being with family. Finally got senior enough and was able to do that. So, uh, you know, I hear that from a lot of people, what you just said. And that's a point I I think I want to stress here is that from the flight instructors that are here at the field that have been staying here on the field, they say exactly that they want to see the kids grow up. And I think that's so important because that's time that you just can't get back. And, and I didn't want to look back and, you know, two years from now saying, wow, I had that great paying job and I got to be on TV. Not that being on TV was, was all it for me, but, uh, it was a a fun job and it was an interesting job and it was something that I was good at, but I didn't want to look back at that and say, I, I put that in front of my, my family and, and spending time with my son, because I know that his personality type and what he's going into is going to take him away, probably far away for long periods of time. 
and uh, we're not going to see much of him from from here on out, realistically. So, um, you know, that's just the matter uh, of fact of, of what he's doing and where he's going and, and also his personality type. So I wanted to take that chance uh, when I could and a little bit of a boastful moment here. Um, he's a cadet at West Point. So wow, uh, had to proud pop a moment. Proud pop. Yeah. Congratulations to him. That's awesome that he's doing that. You know, Chris, when I first had you on here, I wasn't even thinking of the perspective that because getting into aviation to have more time with family, because we always hear, and I, gosh, I get that question so many times that, you know, if I, I'll go to an airline, I'll be away, I'll be home half the time. Yes. Uh, look at me. I, I, I only work about nine days a month, but I'm very senior, so that's not a great example. Most people start, they have only about 10 to 12 days off a month, and you are gone quite often. Uh, so this perspective that you're bringing here is wonderful because it's the kind of the opposite of what we most think about, what most of us think about, isn't it? Yeah, and I think a lot of people, when they think about uh, aviation careers and, you know, you get so many emails from people that, I want to be an airline pilot. And there are so many people with that aspiration and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's, it's a great thing. That's what I wanted to be when I was little. Um, but there are other avenues. If you want to have that home life, if you want to be a homebody, and if you don't want to travel on the road, uh, if you want to spend more time with family, there are plenty of options out there that allow you that opportunity. And, uh, and speaking of my early on aspirations, I was told that this was back in 1981, I was in junior high school in Denver, Colorado. On career day, I went with uh, um, uh, some manager at Continental Airlines when they had a base at Denver Stapleton Airport. Now, you kids in the audience won't know what Stapleton Airport is, but uh, that used to be the main airport in Denver, Colorado. And I went there and I toured the dispatch facility. Uh, we went on board a DC-10. I got to see, uh, you know, on the ramp area. And then he said, you know, most of our uh, aviators, most of our pilots come from the military. And that was still in an age where there were a lot of people uh, coming out of Vietnam and, and a lot of retirees coming from that era where they had a glut of pilots. And they said, you know, unless you can get in the military, uh, you really can't become a pilot because it's just too expensive for the training and we just won't take you. 98% of all our pilots are coming from the Air Force and, and the Navy and so just, uh, you know, forget about those dreams because I just got glasses and, and that was devastating to me. My, my vision was horrible. Um, I went or later went on to, to get LASIK, uh, vision, uh, correction surgery, which turned out to be great for me. Um, but you know, that kind of dashed my dreams and it turned the whole trajectory of what I wanted to do at that point in, in my life to something else, which was a big question mark. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And that's, <laughs> I guess, kind of why I had such a varied background. I tried a little bit of this, do a little bit of that, trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do with life and eventually ended up on TV and, and on radio. And now I'm at the airport. And it's okay to do that. I mean, you've learned so sure. much from all those things, haven't you? Yeah. And, and well, you can say the same, Carl, uh, your background is, uh, almost as varied it's as very mine, simple. probably a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, for instance, and in, you talk about, I remember you mentioned that you had been on uh, fishing boats and, and obviously was in the fish business for a while. That actually helps me in this business. And there, there's so many correlations in dealing with people and trying to explain things that are technical. Uh, I know a lot of people don't think fishing's technical, but there are some technical things. Uh, so let me ask you this. Say, this might be a tough question, but 
for instance, in your, your days of fishing, and I didn't ask you what you did fishing, but uh, how do you think that translates to your job right now? Uh, I think in, in a couple of ways, actually, it, it does, because if you're working outdoors, you are a student of the environment and of the weather, and you are subject to the whims of, of the weather and which way the wind blows. Uh, I worked as a deckhand on a long-range sport fishing boat, actually several of them, out of San Diego, California. And, you know, we would be out for three, four, five days at a time all throughout the summer. So, you know, when you're out there 100 miles offshore, you don't have anywhere to go. So when the wind blows and the swells kick up, uh, you're out there for the duration. So you have to, um, you know, roll with the punches, so to speak, and and you're um, you're at the mercy of the weather. And you have a really great appreciation for the weather as well. Uh, also, um, you know, in addition to uh, the weather, you're dealing with passengers. So if, uh, you know, you do go into that airline job, you have a little bit of customer relation experience and trying to deal with passengers, unruly passengers, and also happy passengers too. And then there's the aspect of navigation. Uh, when I was working on boats, it was the late, mid to late eighties and GPS really wasn't a thing yet. We had these satellite navigators and Loran, again, you kids in the audience, you might want to look up what Loran is, <laughs> uh, long range aid to navigation. Um, so we, you know, plotting a course and, and latitude and longitude coordinates and set and drift and some of those things that wind correction angle, it, it directly correlates to what we do in aviation. So it wasn't really that much of a stretch from, from doing that kind of work to um, learning how to fly an airplane. Of course, uh, you know, there are some similarities, but the, the differences are quite vast and there's a whole new learning curve when it comes to learning how to fly an airplane and, and the, the vast uh, amount of rules and regulations that, that we have to learn. You know, there are differences and, and there are uh, vast differences in weather, weather theory, that type of thing. You are somebody who knows a little bit about weather. And a bit. Yeah. <laughs> there's this whole, you know, thought in my mind that what could you learn? Uh, what more could you learn from being in aviation about weather? Was there any type of, did you know everything already going in or did you learn? Oh, I, I knew everything. So I didn't learn anything at all. <laughs> uh, of course, I'm being sarcastic. Uh, you know, the best way to learn something is to actually experience it. You can learn all day long and spend hours and hours in the classroom and reading books and reading books. And my grandfather always used to say, you buy them books, you buy them books, and they still won't learn anything. Uh, there's no substitute for experience. And you, you can learn about uh, how turbulence um, is is created in a cumulus cloud, but fly through that cumulus cloud and actually experience it. It's smooth, it's smooth, it's smooth. You hit that cloud and bump, 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 bump. Oh, wow, we just hit that updraft. Oh, okay, that's kind of cool. Now I can kind of visualize it and in visualizing thermals. And I don't have any glider experience, but if if you fly a glider and you know all about thermals and trying to take advantage of uh, thermal lift and and wind wind ridge uh, uh, lift and, and things like that, you, you get a sense of visualizing that the atmosphere is a moving fluid. And that's really what, what drives weather It's fluid dynamics. And it gives you a really just a much more appreciation for the weather and the processes that, that make the weather happen. And in fact, I was just at the airport today and talking to someone about the weather and they said, well, you know, I really don't know if I could become a pilot because all that weather stuff is just too complicated. And that's, it's a whole other subject, uh, in and of itself. And, and I just don't know if I could do that. And I said, well, you're out here every day. 
you're looking at the weather, you see the changes and, and you can see what, you know, when, when a cold front moves through how the wind shifts and how the weather can change. Uh, you know, there's so many different things that happen with the weather. And I think flying, it really gives you that appreciation for, for the weather and being up in it. And, you know, they always said, and I have my head in the clouds. So I figured why not? <laughs> you truly do have your head in the clouds. You know, I, I love how you said that about the experience and you do have a lot of experience in weather and no matter how much we study, there's nothing like being in it. Uh, you know, I'll never forget, you know, flying through the tops of clouds in the winter and then also getting all this ice and being a new pilot at the airline and the captain saying to me, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. And now I expect it. Uh, and it's through those experiences that we learn so much. But one thing I found about weather, I'd, I'd like to get your opinion on this, is uh, no matter how much you study, uh, you always are surprised uh, about the, you know, when something happens, it's not 100%. Okay. So, you, you know, uh, for example, you knew something about flying, but then when it comes to try to teach flying to someone else, then you really start to learn what you don't know about flying or how little you know about flying. When you try to forecast the weather, you can understand the weather and how everything works and get a good mechanical sense of the weather. But when you try to forecast it and try to explain to someone what is going to happen and how it's going to change and pin down the exact minute details that they want in a forecast, it will humble even the best forecaster. Uh, and some places it's a little bit easier to forecast than others. Uh, for example, in the summertime in, along the Gulf Coast of, of Florida, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, afternoon thunderstorms, you know, you set your watch by it. But uh, Denver, Colorado, for example, uh, boy, that was a really tough place to forecast the weather because so many different influences come into the equation. And it's, uh, it, it's really a dynamic uh, environment and so many variables that we really can't account for. Uh, that place will humble even the best forecaster. So, you know, every place has its own challenges. And I think the more you experience that and the more you you tackle those challenges, the better you get. But you'll never really be fully 100% proficient and uh, and totally understand exactly what's going to happen because there's always that curveball that comes in that you never expect, like uh, cold air damming or uh, Arctic air or uh a tropical system that zigs instead of zags, uh, and uh, another um, dozen or so examples uh, of things that that go awry with the forecast. So don't beat up the forecaster the next time the, the weather forecast is not exactly right on, because uh, we try our best as forecasters, but sometimes we can't account for everything. I think that's true in many different things in aviation. Uh, you know, we do a lot of predicting. Uh, we take a, a methodology and we apply that, but we're not always 100% correct. I mean, it could be in our, you know, cross-country flights, planning a fuel uh, at the airport, you think a passenger is going to do a certain thing and they don't. You know, there's all sorts of things there. So really, you got you to be ready for the unknown. Or how about that perfect landing? You have it all set up and everything coming in, and then you you pull back the, the thrust levers and you're just going to grease it on the runway and all of a sudden the bottom drops out of it and clunk. And then every passenger, what are they going to remember? That's all they remember. Yes. That's all they remember. It's ever happened to you, though? No, no, never. <laughs> you know, I will say one thing, though. What's interesting is as you fly a lot more, what we call a bad landing, you get pretty tough on yourself. 
uh, you know, you look back and you say to yourself, gosh, I, I did some terrible landings. You get used to flying that same airplane over and over again. Uh, but it's a, always a challenge. I mean, you may think you're going to have the best landing in the world and bam. And because uh, the plane has different weights, there's so many variables. It's really it really is fun. And that's what's cool about it, isn't it? And that's, I think, part of the challenge, too. You always want to better yourself. You're never going to have that perfect flight, that 100% where everything was just right exactly on. And you're always going to challenge yourself to try to get to closer and closer to that point. Uh, and if you ever reach that point of where, no, everything was perfect, I'm done, mic drop, I'm out of here, uh, then maybe it is time to, to hang it up and, and leave. But <laughs> there's always room for improvement. Yeah, there, there always is. And, you know, you ask some really old airline pilots, guys with a lot of experience, and they say, you know, you know, every landing is different. And that's one of the cool things about it. Sometimes it does get a little boring in between. It does in a small plane, big plane. It doesn't matter. But that is a big challenge. Speaking of challenges, one thing that we we would be remiss to not talk about is you obtained your ratings while you were working a job that was challenging and required a lot of hours. There's some other people out there that are concerned about getting into this, and they also have the same situation. What would you tell them? Well, it's awesome if you can devote 100% of your your time, your efforts, and abilities towards learning how to fly and, and um, continuing your ratings and certificates. But like many of us and many of your listeners, uh, they have full-time jobs and they're doing it on the side or they're trying to make that work. When I got my private pilot certificate, um, I was working at a TV station in Miami and I was uh, doing weekends and three days a week. So in my off time, I was trying to to learn how to fly going out to the airport, Opelika Airport in Miami, Florida. Thank you very much. And I, I did that and I flew because the, the advice from the, the guy who owned the FBO, he said, you know, don't dive right into the instrument rating right away. Just enjoy flying and build up some of those cross-country hours that you're going to need anyway. And just, just fly. Just enjoy it. And, and it's not always about the training, 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 training. It's something that should be enjoyed for a little bit and then dive into the training. And then that will only make you a safer pilot, a better pilot, a more precise pilot when you get that instrument rating. So I did that uh, about a year and a half later. So I, I got my instrument rating in 1999 and then I moved to Salt Lake city, Utah, did some mountain flying, uh, moved to New Jersey and did a little bit of instrument flying, but I kind of put some of the flying on hold there because, um, an, of an addition to my family. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, he took the, the front seat there. So then we moved to Denver, Colorado, and I got a little more mountain flying experience there. Uh, but kind of stayed away from any of the instrument flying because if you go one way, the uh, minimum in route altitudes are 13, 14, 15,000 feet, a little more than my Cessna 172 was capable of, or at least the the airplanes that I rented. And in the opposite direction, if you got any instrument weather, a lot of times it was subject to icing and other bad stuff that I didn't really want to get involved in. Um, and then uh, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, you could go two or three months without buying a cloud. It's uh, really just amazing how sunny and clear the, the weather is in Phoenix, Arizona. So to get actual time in Arizona is really a rarity. So you could go from start to finish through your instrument rating in Arizona and never even see a cloud. Uh, you know, it's all foggles, all, all hood work that you do down there. And uh, it, again, it wasn't really until I was uh, down here along the Gulf Coast that uh, a good friend of mine convinced me to, hey, get your commercial, get your CFI, get on get on the horse and start riding. So 
Um, I, I did that while again, working a full-time job and trying to balance the two. Unfortunately, the airport was about 45 minutes to an hour in the opposite direction of where work was. So that added in that extra challenge of, you know, you, you have to go in two different directions to try to make this work and balance the, the, the life family equation. And I guess the bottom line is if, if it's something that you really want and you will find a way to make it work. Uh, you will find a way to pay for it and you will find a way to make the time to, to achieve that goal, achieve that dream. I know it's for a lot of people, it's time and money are the two main, main barriers towards, uh, against flight training and the time you can, you can always create the time really. I mean, you can come up with excuses of why you don't have enough time, but the money equation, that's, that's a big one. And, and I, I always, if someone brings up the money thing. I always bring up the subject of scholarships and hey, you know what? There's this great scholarships guide available from this guy who does this podcast called the Aviation Careers Podcast. And and I do promote that quite a bit. And they say, oh, wow, I had no idea. So, you know, we're trying to get people to apply for some of those scholarships. And it just blows me away that some people uh, don't even apply for scholarships because they don't know that those scholarships even exist. And some scholarships don't go claimed because nobody ever applied for them. So even by uh, well, almost default, you could win that scholarship because you just happen to be the one to apply for it. So I, I did um, my commercial um, and I finished up with that. And then I rolled right into the CFI uh, about six months later. And I carved out enough time for me to, to come up with all my lesson plans and my studying and going through uh, the the maneuvers, the transition to the right seat, which wasn't bad at all. You know, maybe three or four hours and I was comfortable. Now I'm probably more comfortable flying in the right seat than I am in the left seat. Uh, and I made made the time to make that happen. And then by the time my, my contract at, in TV was over, I had a full-time job waiting for me. And I could easily make that transition. I think there was about a week in between that I had off. I was actually hoping for a little more time in between jobs, but... Uh, I'm not going to complain about that. And so I, I started with a new job um, running this uh, flight school and, and teaching people how to fly and also kind of overseeing the the maintenance facility in Gulf Shores, Alabama. And no looking back. Speaking of looking back, you had uh, – and I'm sure there's people that struggle with this because I hear it all the time when I'm coaching. When you're going through those ratings, did you ever – psychologically have issues, you know, or feel guilty and think, Oh, you know, am I doing the responsible thing? I think, you know, I was, I was doing it for the, uh, the, I don't want to say the greater good, but the greater good in my family, because I knew what the end goal was going to be. And I wanted to try to transition to something that would allow me, afford me more time with, with the family. And to me, that was, uh, more, more important than making uh, a lot of money or having fame and fortune and being on television. So, you know, for me, I thought, yeah, it was a little more of a time commitment in the short term, but in the long term and the big picture, uh, I was working towards that goal. So I could spend more time here with my family. And it's worked out and, and you know, no regrets, I'm sure, but, uh, you know, could we have taken a different path? Sure, we all have. Uh, but what we do is we look back and we learn and we we take those experiences. Moving forward, we apply those. And, and one of the things that I always tell people is as you get older, you become more efficient, don't you? 
and I think you also have more tolerance for, uh, making mistakes when you're, when you're young, Oh, I shouldn't have made that mistake. And I made the wrong choice. And you second guess yourself so many times. I think when you get a little bit older and a little more seasoned, you kind of say, well, okay. Yeah. So that didn't work out. Oh, well, it's not the end of the world. We'll just try it again, or we'll just do something else. I, I think you have to just give something a try. And unfortunately, early on, uh, as I gave that example of when I was in junior high school, uh, the guy told me, no, you're not going to be able to do this. And I listened to him because he was an authority figure and he was knowledgeable. I would say this, uh, if someone told you, no, you're not going to be able to do that just flat out, uh, you know, well, okay, get a second opinion or a third opinion, or at least give it a try. Uh, in television, people told me the same thing. Oh, it's too competitive. There are too many people doing that. There's so few jobs out there. And really it is a very narrow field and, and very few people, uh, succeed in that, in that area. And I could have listened to them and I could have gone into banking or, uh, I don't know, something else, uh, which would have been fine, but it wouldn't have been what I really wanted to do and to pursue. And I thought, you know, if I only get to, uh, Fargo, North Dakota, uh, apologies to Fargo, North Dakota, by the way, uh, if I only get to Fargo, North Dakota in television, well then so be it. At least I tried and, and at least I got somewhere and at least I did it. Uh, so, you know, follow that dream. And, and I, I've heard other radio shows, podcasts where people say, oh, don't follow your dream because then you'll be disappointed. Just go for the job and go for the paycheck. And then you can do your dream on the side. Well, why can't you have your cake and eat it too? And I think, uh, you know, some of us have been lucky and fortunate enough to be able to find a, a good combination of between the two. I mean, you love aviation, you love flying, you have a job that allows you to do that and also fly for fun on the side. And, and I can do the same thing too. And uh, I think, uh, that's the, the best of both worlds. And that's what we want to really strive for if we can. That was very well put. And one of the things I, I love that you talked about is the fact that so many people online or wherever are telling you, you know, forget about your passion, you know, do something that's going to make money. And boy, I was told that so many times, not by my parents, but by other people. And uh, my dad followed his passion and my mom did. And I followed my passion and it's worked out. You just, the only thing you have to do is now get a, get a plan and put it together. Keep those castles in the sky. Now you just have to build a foundation under it. Right. You, you have to have that plan to be successful. And, and like you say in, in your podcast all the time, uh, you know, do something today to forward your career, to advance your career. Don't just sit back and expect great things to happen for you because, you know, no one's going to come beating down your door, especially these days. Hey, we need an airline pilot. Please come fly for us. We'll pay for all your ratings. Uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, that wasn't even going to happen a year ago uh, when there was this hiring boom going on. Uh, you have to make it happen. You have to be an active participant in this. But at the same time, uh, don't just uh, sit back and, and say, it's all going to be given to me. You have to, you have to go after that dream and pursue it. And, and if it, you know, in the end, if things don't exactly work out the way you want them to, I, I know a lot of people are probably going through this right now where you just got up to that 1500 hour mark and, oh boy, I've got it. I've got a class date. I'm going to the airlines. And then I got the email saying, oh, the class is canceled because, um, now hiring freeze furloughs, uh, we're laying off people and, and that's it. And, and I know there's no such thing as a temporary furlough. Or, uh, or a permanent furlough or whatever uh, the, the phrase that you were talking about before. 
but you know, if, if you're laid off by the airline, um, that's it. And you may be called back. Uh, and I think some of those people probably never will be going back to those airline jobs. They're going to find something else that'll carry them through and then they'll pursue another career path. And unfortunately, uh, this is going to end up closing some doors, uh, career wise for some people. But, uh, you know, hopefully in the end, they'll be able to find their way back. And if it's something they truly love and they're passionate about, then I hope they do find their way back to aviation one way or another. I think they will. And I think in every environment, there's a shining light. And you just have to keep going towards that shining light and don't focus on the darkness behind you. Uh, and, and a lot of times we have, we have a decision to make. We could either, when we're really at the bottom, we can either keep looking down or try to look up and get out. And I think uh, we're all in that boat, or a lot of people are in that boat trying to get out of that hole. Uh, and I, I really, gosh, you know, one of the things that I think people don't realize is what's going on. Sometimes we say to ourselves, you know, just to protect ourselves, we we compartmentalize it. Just just keep moving forward. I think that's that was just a, a key point that you had there. And just keep keep looking towards the positive. There's always something good out there. Carl, just like me, um, an an eternal optimist, and trying to look at the the positive thing. Um, or the positive light uh, in situations where, uh, and, and I know that you've said uh, there have been downturns in the industry and there will be. And a year ago, people would say, Oh, Carl Valeri, what do you know? Downturns. This is the greatest hiring boom. And they're, they're paying people these sign on bonuses. And what are you talking about? Slow down. There's not going to be any slowdown. Uh, I'm going to my airline job next month and, and nothing's going to stop that until we get a pandemic. Yeah, the, it and this is the cycle of life. I mean, I've, uh, you know, I, I've stopped trying to explain because uh, there's a lot of even big unions out there that have you know skewered me on the internet, and uh, and then five years later they say, oh no, wait, you know that was right, and and now those same ones are coming after me to help out. It just it, it's something you ha- what you have to do is is listen to those people that actually have experience, but also listen to many different people. Like you said, get a second, third, fourth, fifth opinion. That was such great advice. And I highly recommend you doing that. Don't just listen to me. I mean, we all have our experiences. And listen to all those people that are out there that are talking and and find out what they did. You know, a good example is you hear so many people talk about how, you know, they, you know, why would you want to become an airline pilot? And it's like, well, they're airline pilots themselves and they love their jobs. Uh, So it's really kind of interesting when you hear people that downgrade it and say, hey, don't do this, but I'm going to still stick with it because I love it. So one of the things that we have to realize is that we don't want to, don't be afraid of this. Don't be afraid to give any kind of a career change a try. And we talk about aviation. This can be applied to so many different things out there. Uh, Follow the passion, figure out what you need to do going forward. Uh, but but don't don't be afraid. I mean, sometimes you get into something and it's actually the wrong thing. And gosh, you've you've done that, right? Yeah. And and if you realize that, hey, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I don't want to fly for a living. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. And just just as long as you have the support of friends, family, and you have a support system to back you up. Uh, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with that. And it's not that you're admitting you made a mistake. It's just you're admitting that okay, maybe this just isn't for me. And I've known people in in various industries that uh, have done just that and said, well, okay, maybe, 
you know, I should try something else. Uh, I made a leap of faith by leaving a 29 year career for, uh, in aviation and, and I'm now in aviation and so far so good. It's, uh, it's turned out okay. And I hope, uh, things continue to, to go well in this, in this place, but you know, you also have to invest in yourself and you also have to be fully invested in it. You can't give it a, a half-hearted attempt. Um, you know, you have to be, you have to be out there and, and you, you, um, promote LinkedIn a lot, Carl, on your show. I think LinkedIn is a, a great tool for, for being out there and getting noticed and, and being connected with other people in the industry, but also social media uh, for all of its uh, bad side. Uh, there is some good to it. Facebook and Instagram um, usually try to stay away from Twitter just because. Uh, but those are great ways to and great places for people to connect. And also, if you're trying to promote a flight school, for example, uh, like I am, you can create awareness. We call it top of mind awareness, where if people continually see these these images, these pictures in in their feed, then they're constantly going to be thinking about your business and what you do and you as a flight instructor or you as an airline dispatcher or you as an airline pilot and getting the name of that airline or that flight school out there. Uh, we we not only do flight training, but we also do scenic beach flights because we're close to the beach. And we have the part 91, it's 91-147 uh, waiver for us to do um, scenic beach flights. We, we, we do their flights to nowhere, but we go up and down the beach and show people uh, what the beach looks like from a thousand feet and they love it. Uh, but, you know, I've promoted that a lot through uh, pictures and images and videos online on social media. And people will call me out of the blue and say, oh, I just saw that picture on Instagram or I just saw the video on, on Facebook and I saw that someone shared it with me. So I want to sign up for one of those flights. So it's doing whatever you can to promote your, your business, but also and mainly to promote yourself and to further yourself and career. And that will help to make you more successful. It really does. And like you said, top of mind, by the way, it's uh, Aero Pro in flight. Uh, it's a great website and all the Instagram feeds that you have and pictures you put out there on the feed, excuse me, have been wonderful. Uh, and like you said, I, I enjoy them. I love watching people solo or those pictures of that beautiful beach and those, those different colors, like that greenish color, whatever it is. It's, it's beautiful. It's like emerald, uh, flying along the coast there, uh, which by the way, we have to tell people, where are you, uh, in the world of, of flying? I think you said, uh, Gulf Shores. Yeah, we're at Jack Edwards National Airport in Gulf Shores, Alabama. We're just two miles away from the beach in Alabama. And for those of you in the West who didn't realize that, yes, Alabama does have a beach. There's <laughs> there's about uh, 40 miles, 45 miles of coastline in Alabama along the Gulf Coast. And as uh, a native Californian, I would say the beaches are every bit as nice. It's a different beach. It's a different beach in the West Coast. But there is a beach in Alabama, and it is quite lovely. Uh, the, the, the sand is white. The, the water is a greenish-bluish color, and it's uh, beautiful as seen from the air. So we do have some really nice weather. November and March are the two nicest months of the year, but uh, there's some great weather in between. Uh, summer is our thunderstorm season, but some good flying can be had in between those thunderstorms. So, uh, you know, we really are a year round flying destination and we do have uh, plenty of year round flying opportunities here along the Gulf coast. And the water's warmer to swim in. Oh, much warmer than the West coast. Yes. Uh, I think 88, 89 degrees in the summertime. So yeah. So take that. 
You talk about, you know, continuing along with your dream and uh, forgetting about the naysayers, basically, and just pushing forward. You know, a good example is you talked about scholarships. You're in that demographic where it's a little more difficult. Most scholarships are more for younger people and for people that are in college, high school, et cetera. Um, you know, what would you tell somebody that is looking towards a scholarship that says, well, you know, I can't get one because I'm too old? There are some out there, and I know of a guide that could probably uh, steer you in the right direction. Um, you wouldn't happen to know of anything like that, Carl. Let me see. Let me look. Oh, yeah, on the website, aviationcareerspodcast.com. I forgot. Just go look in scholarships. <laughs> no. And I know that you've had some requests uh, about oh, yeah. this for scholarships for maybe uh, we'll call it uh, adults, people with advanced age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I call it adults. Uh, I did. Uh, you know, we talked about that title. We were thinking about old people, but I figured that wouldn't be very appropriate because uh, yeah. I didn't want to reflect my, no, we couldn't figure it out. So we said, Hey, how about adults? Uh, we, we haven't really figured it out, but uh, we keep changing it. And I said, you know, this is something that's available for everybody, um, no matter your background. And that's just, that's the one thing you have to do uh, just as an aside is that, when you're looking for something, a scholarship, try to look in your background. You never know what you have in your background uh, that might apply. I, I told everybody that that comes into the flight school, if if funding is going to be a challenge, then look at scholarships. Look at scholarship opportunities. Check out the scholarships guide. It's not that expensive, and they do all the legwork for you. And you could spend hours and hours and hours on the Internet trying to look for scholarships. And then... Half of them, oh, well, this was from 2014, so this is no longer available. And you do all the legwork and make sure that these are actually valid scholarships. And if you're looking for a specific one, um, such as, uh, well, I'm not in high school, and I'm I'm certainly not in high school. I'm not in college anymore, uh, but I still want to see if someone out there wants to help me out with paying my, with my, my flight training. Uh, there are certainly opportunities for, for older people to, to get, uh, flight training scholarships, uh, maintenance scholarships, uh, uh, a whole myriad of, of scholarship opportunities that are, that are still out there for folks. So yeah, um, a lot of them are geared towards say high school and college students, but, um, you never know what's out there until you start looking. And if you have some, some really uh, uh, obscure thing in your family history, like, uh, I, I don't know, um, I, Carl, I told you that uh, my great, 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 great grandfather founded the town of Piscataway, New Jersey. If there's a scholarship for the founders of the town of Piscataway, New Jersey, and the, uh, the sons of the revolution and the United States, uh, and it's only open to you people, uh, well, then I might qualify for something like that. You never know. I mean, I've heard stories of people finding them. Uh, you know, it's interesting, and I'd love to hear from the audience what you think. We were trying to figure out a name. I said scholarships for adults. Uh, one of the things we're thinking of changing it to is continuing education. Uh, so please write us, feedback at aviationcurspodcast.com if you have a better name for it, because we are we are struggled with that one, that's for sure. Experienced scholarships. <laughs> well, I don't know. No, I don't know. I think I'll have to work on that. And one of the things that I think, and by the way, hats off to Alicia. Uh, Alicia is a scholarships coordinator. I couldn't have done this without her. She is the one that researches these, you know, the scholarships guide is only $10, but she, she actually goes in and updates them. And once a month looks and changes the scholarships, updates them, adds new ones. We're up to $120 million in scholarships. I mean, I thought I was so excited when we passed 100,000 and, uh, and we're moving forward. 
And, and that's what's so exciting. People say, why do you keep it in that format? Well, I still think it's good to flip through something. You know, it's like a guide, like a Zagat's guide. You know, you do flip through and you discover things. Uh, there is something that that's, you know, a little more tangible about going through a guide. I'm, I'm finding people like that, although we might do a, a search online, but we'll talk about that later. Um, going back to the flight school thing, though, I a lot of times tell people to find a place that has a good demographic and has uh, quite a few people. You're somebody in, in that area, you know, if you're looking at a, a statistical area, you're somebody who's in an area that isn't quite like that. So uh, before I forget, I want to talk about that. Why did you <laughs> why did you choose Gulf Shores? Because it's not probably where most people would think to go to become an instructor. Well, uh, it, it, the opportunity was here. And, and, and I am already here. And so I think, yeah, as a, as a relatively new flight school, we've been around for about two years and I've been there for a year and a half. Uh, it does have some challenges trying to promote a flight school with, uh, we started out with one aircraft, a Cessna 172 and one instructor, me. And, and to try to, uh, you know, really build on that is, uh, well, you have to start with something and you have to start somewhere. So we have two instructors now. We have two airplanes. So we've doubled our growth in the past year. Uh, we were continuing to grow on the maintenance side. Uh, so, you know, we're showing signs of growth and, you know, it's, it's mostly organic growth, uh, not a whole lot of advertising out there. Um, I attended a conference to the Flight School Association of North America back in February when, when the hiring boom was still going on and when they were still paying people to come to fly for the, uh, the regional airlines. And, uh, I met some flight school operators there and they said, well, you know, you do have some challenges. Uh, there's not a whole lot of population there. You're not near a major metropolitan area. You don't have a, you know, 4 million in the Metro area that, you know, people are going to be lining up around the corner waiting for flight training there. So you have to do something a little bit different to try to attract people, not only the people that are from there, but maybe try to get some people in from out of town. And, and we tried to, uh, do some of the, the rotary transition, uh, folks, because, uh, Fort Rucker, Alabama is not too far away. A lot of military aviators come through Pensacola, which is only about 40 miles away from us. Uh, but a lot of that is dried up because of the, the hiring, um, turned down with the, the airlines and with the, the regional airlines. So, uh, we're, we're still, um, e even despite that we are still growing. Uh, we do have uh, the seasonal tourist trade uh, that comes through in the, from basically from spring break all the way until Labor Day, and that provides us with a good influx of, of people. We're also trying to work with some of the local schools. Uh, the local high schools are starting up aviation programs here. Uh, one of them is hooked up with uh, AOPA with their STEM program, uh, and they have uh, two dozen flight students in, in their flight program. Uh, not necessarily geared towards, yes, you're going to be a pilot, but learning about aviation and learning about, uh, the mechanics of flight and becoming, uh, you know, getting science as, as a, a real thing. And, and it really gets through to them. Some of them will be mechanics. Some of them will be pilots. Uh, most of them will probably go on to other classes and just kind of forget about the aviation thing altogether because they don't have the bug, but those that do have the bug, we, we help to capture them and capture their attention and invite them out to the airport. And of course, COVID has kind of put a, a lid on some of that stuff and, and a lot of that interaction, but uh, we're forging partnerships with the community. 
with local schools. Uh, the local community college has a robust A&P program. That's uh, airframe and power plant for mechanics. And uh, we, we hope to partner up with them to also offer flight training uh, because this area of South Alabama is actually a growing aerospace hub, believe it or not. Um, uh, Carl, you fly an uh, Airbus A320, and uh, they actually have the North American assembly line here in uh, Mobile, Alabama, and Continental Motors, which half of the general aviation fleet seems like it's uh, powered by Continental Motors and uh, the engines. Those are manufactured here in Mobile, Alabama. So there's a lot of manufacturing going on. We just need to kind of pump up the pilot, pilot population around here. You're doing a great job of it. One thing that I, I think is neat is that you th- you're kind of thinking outside the box. And uh, a lot of people that are looking for an area where it's going to come to you, uh, this may not happen if you're in a smaller area, but you're actually going out and bringing people in. And some people have to do that. They, they have to learn how to do that. But it's a challenge, but you can learn. Well, and we're, we're trying to think of different ways and how can we grow the business and how can we reach out to the community and beyond the community too. So for example, um, instrument training, I, I mentioned in Arizona, if you do in, uh, your instrument training in Arizona, you'd be hard pressed to find instrument weather. Well, we have plenty of instrument weather here in South Alabama with also some plenty of, uh, of good VFR weather too. So you can take advantage of that by saying, Hey, we can offer you instrument training, but we can also get you actual instrument time. And there's no substitute for flying in the clouds. The first time you fly into a cloud, it's it's a different deal. You know, you don't have the shadows playing tricks on you and you can't peek outside of the foggles or the hood. And and when you're in the cloud, you're in the cloud and, and that's it. So uh, we have plenty of uh, instrument approaches, uh, towered airports, uh, a variety of airspace around here. We have uh, two class Charlie airports. We have a couple of class Delta airports, class Bravo over in new Orleans. Um, and we even have an NDB approach into Pensacola. So if you want to do one of those and you can find an airplane capable of that, you can do an NDB approach. Wow. That has a lot to offer then. Uh, I wish I could get, get more people to do those. I might just fly up there just to do the NDB approach, uh, bring me back to my old days in flying, but. Oh, me too. You know, man, this has been great having you on here. I mean, you are in a spot, I feel, that is that is a growing area of aviation. You know, I've uh, had the pleasure, luckily, of actually flying the first Airbus uh, you know, that was manufactured in Mobile in Alabama. And people don't think about Alabama and southern Alabama and uh, it being a beautiful beach, a great place to live. You, you can You can make it anywhere. You just have to put your mind to it, just like Chris has done. You know, I think there are opportunities in a lot of different places, uh, but it's just a matter of finding out those opportunities. I, I tell people, um, and I don't uh, really know much beyond uh, the reputation, but the University of North Dakota is one of the premier aviation programs in the country. And they look at me like, North Dakota? Are you kidding me? Why? And I was, well, that's, if you build it, they will come. And uh, <laughs> that's that's what happened. Um, of course, uh, you know, Embry Riddle in, uh, Daytona beach, Florida, their main campus, and also Prescott, Arizona I have to give a shout out to Embry Riddle because I did my master's degree through them. Uh, but, uh, you know, you think Florida, Texas, California is the, the primary and Arizona is the primary spots for flight training because of the weather, but there are other places that do quite well with the uh, flight training, Denver, Colorado, for example. Uh, there was a ton of flight training in the airport that I, I flew out of, uh, Centennial, one of the busiest general aviation airports in the country. Um, and they are busy, busy, busy beyond belief. Wichita, Kansas, 
the the home of general aviation and all the the manufacturers there uh right smack dab in the middle of the country not exactly known for their wonderful flying weather um unless you'd like to practice crosswind landings uh you know pretty much anywhere you can find some sort of an advantage or some sort of a, a niche where you know you can have something going on and it provides something for someone as, as long as you're able to and willing to meet their needs and that's true of most aviation businesses and business in general uh you have to think about the customer and and what value to bring to them so you're bringing a lot of value to people and i know through just listening to you the passion that you have in your voice for aviation is just absolutely amazing you know chris though we're going through a kind of a tough time right now and I was wondering, can you give advice maybe to someone who's here thinking, I would love to follow my dream and become a pilot mechanic, get into aviation. What would you say to that person right now during this pandemic? Right now is actually, I think, uh, a great time to start the ball rolling. Because if you think about it, when would you be marketable? When would you have the skills to enter the job force? When would you be ready to have a full-time paying job flying airplanes or fixing airplanes? Uh, if you're a, a maintainer, A&P mechanic, it's uh, you know, a couple of years. Uh, and if you're uh, a pilot, how many hours it would take to get to the, the commercial certificate, uh, depending if you're 141 or 61, under part 61 is 250 hours. It takes quite a while to build up 250 hours, and there's a lot of training to, to go through. So at, at least a year, year and a half. So by that time, a year and a half to two years from now, uh, we're going to have a vaccine. Uh, in fact, we've already had promising signs of some of the, uh, the early uh, clinical trials of, of vaccines for coronavirus. Uh, that's a huge step in, in getting us back on the, the right track and really rebuilding the airline industry as we know it. Uh, but you know, give it a couple of years and I think it's going to be a completely different landscape. There are still mandatory retirements that have to happen in the airline industry. That's just a fact. And you also have some of the attrition that's been going on early retirements and some people just simply dropping out of the workforce. So, uh, in another couple of years, who's to say that there won't be another hiring boom and they're going to be clamoring for pilots once again. And if you start right now, uh, it's my thought that you will be perfectly positioned to take advantage of that next boom. Because uh, as you constantly preach, there have been cycles. Uh, there have always been downturns and there will be upswings. Right now we're in the downturn and it's where are we at the bottom of the trough and where are we going to start that upswing again? And just give it a couple of years and I think we're going to be on our way back up. I guarantee we'll have an upswing again, and we're going to have another recession again in the future. Uh, I may not see the next recession in my career in the aviation world, but uh, who knows? Uh, we we don't know. We can't predict that. But still, keep going forward, like you're saying. I mean, you know, in in a couple of years from now, by the time you build enough hours to get to the major, they may be really hiring quite a bit. Uh, so, great advice, great advice, Chris. Yeah, and I hope to uh, I hope to be able to be at that point uh, in a couple of years. But uh, my my flying and and the hour building has not exactly been stellar. Uh, in talking with other flight school operators, uh, you know, I, I tell them how much I've been flying and it hasn't been a whole lot, uh, primarily because of our, our small town and, and where we are. But, uh, you know, I, I am building time. I'm building experience, which is just as valuable to me as the hours in the logbook, because I'm not building time gunning for that airline job. Um, 
I'm a little more advanced age than a lot of the, uh, the, uh, those that are qualifying for those jobs. And, you know, really it's not what I aspire to. I, I really enjoy teaching. And if I can do something like that, teaching or managing people in the aviation industry, uh, that's what I would love to do. And that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, you're doing it right now. That's awesome. So, so what's next? I mean, do you have a goal as to what's next? You know, um, the goal is to, to make it through the next day and to, uh, to keep doing what I'm doing, uh, just to at least, uh, make sure that my son gets through to school, through, um, through his college and his education. At least I know he has a guaranteed job when he gets out. Uh, thank you, uncle Sam. Uh, and also thank you, uncle Sam for paying for his education. Uh, but, uh, you know, in the long term, uh, I just want to do whatever I can to try to, uh, try to benefit aviation and to try to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, you know, and also just keeping involved and, and maintaining a presence on social media, but also being involved in organizations like NAFI, uh, National Association of Flight Instructors, um, and, and AOPA, which is a great organization. Um, you know, trying to be involved and trying to learn as much as I can and listening to the aviation careers podcast. Oh, I appreciate that. You know, we're talking to the flying weatherman here, Chris Dunn, who's truly a passionate aviator, passionate person about life in general. Uh, been through tough times, uh, but seems to have really kept a great attitude and, uh, it really, uh, it's contagious, uh, uh, if I can use that term right now. It's a good contagious, and, and I'm glad you, I'm really glad you came on, Chris. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Carl. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you and your show, and thank you for your motivation. Well, uh, thanks so much. And, you know, I, all those people that are listening right now, if you have questions for Chris, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. We'll have links, by the way, in the show notes to his website, The Flying Weatherman, Aero Pro in Flight. And there's all sorts of other things out there, Facebook page, LinkedIn. Uh, has a great LinkedIn profile, so I highly suggest you take a look at that. But one of the things I, I think that's really important for you right now that are listening is go back and listen. Chris has some great advice here. And go back and listen to that. If you ever feel down, listen to this episode because it, it's inspired me. But the, the most important thing you need to do is, is don't stop now. When you hit stop on the, on the you know, whatever you're using, a podcatcher, et cetera, the most important thing to do is, is keep moving forward. Take another step. Take one step today to move forward towards your career goal. And that is the most important thing you can do for me. That would make me feel so much better. And, and it would actually, it would help you. And that's what's so important is we're helping you. So take that one step today towards your career goal and don't stop now. Listen to other episodes on podcasts. Go out and re do research on the internet. Read a book, read a magazine article, check out NAFI, AOPA, but do something today to move forward in your career, in your life. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research.